This podcast is sponsored by GoCD, an on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server by ThoughtWorks. GoCD gives you complete control of invisibility into your deployments across multiple teams. To learn more about GoCD, visit go.cd slash recode for a free download. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the world's biggest fan of the movie Gattaca, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Othman Laraki, the president of Color Genomics. Othman co-founded Color in March 2013, coming off of more than three years as vice president of product at Twitter. Color analyzes the genes of its users to see if they're at risk for certain hereditary cancers. We're going to talk about the future of health, tech, and much more. Othman, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you for having me. Um, so there's so much to talk about. I just recently did a podcast with Vic Gondotra, who's doing EEGs on little small devices, and just recently got money from the Mayo Clinic, and I recently interviewed Ann Wojcicki from 23andMe, one of the original genomics companies. Um, so why don't you give us a little background of how you got to this first, so people can understand who you are? Because coming as VP of product of Twitter is not really where... It's not quite the traditional background for uh, for health, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I guess in terms of background, yeah, my my background prior to this had entirely been in the software world. Um, I started several software companies. Uh, I was at Google for a number of years. And uh, most recently, um, I started a company that Twitter acquired, where I was VP of product. Which was? It was called Mixer Labs. Mm -hmm. We were uh, one of the early um, developer APIs, kind of, you know, how now there's a a big wave of companies like you know Twilio and Stripe, mm-hmm. et cetera, they're taking a piece of infrastructure and turning it into API for developers to build uh, applications. Uh, and we were doing that with geo-information. And so we made it possible for, at the time, it was a big wave of check-in apps, et cetera, when mm-hmm. um, the iPhone and Android had just started using GPS as a, through their API. And uh, we built an API that made it easy for people to develop geo-enabled applications. I see. And then at Twitter, I was uh, working on product. What did you work on? So I ran three groups. Uh, they're uh, the growth, revenue, and international. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, essentially, they're all focused on different aspects of scaling the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're you know very uh, privileged uh, to be part of uh, you know a pretty incredible time in you know Twitter's history, where you know was, uh, the product was you know growing really fast, and we had. Uh, you know, we were dealing with some of the really interesting scaling challenges and, uh, you know, seeing this, uh, you know, amazing product kind of really reaching a uh, you know, very large population. Yeah. Now growing not so fast is their big issue. Alas. Um, <laughs> every company hits that, don't they? Um, so so you decided to do this. Why? How did you get to this? You know, something that I hadn't talked about uh, before before color was um, so my, I have a fair amount of cancer history in my family. My, my grandmother had passed away from breast cancer. Uh, my mother survived two of them. And then after her second diagnosis, her doctor's like, well, you know, this seems pretty unlikely that you'd just have this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they recommended that she get genetically tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and she discovered that she has a BRCA2 mutation, a mm-hmm. gene called BRCA2, uh, which is... Uh, BRCA gene. Yeah, it's one of the two mm-hmm. uh, well-known BRCA genes. And um, they're associated with dramatic increases in breast and ovarian cancer risk. Mm-hmm. And I also got tested, and uh, it turned out that I, I'm also a carrier as well. Mm-hmm. So it had been part of my personal and family life, uh, I guess, forever. But what happened was um, we were just coming, kind of coming off this incredible phase, I think, in, in genetics where the technology behind sequencing um, mm-hmm. had gone through you know, a 15-year period 
where the costs were dropping at an exponential rate. And all of a sudden, it started becoming possible to do genetics at a cost point that was completely impossible before. And one of the side effects of that is, is that it turned genetics into a software and data problem instead of a raw like laboratory and science problem. Right. Um, and what that means is that all of a sudden, you can start building uh, genetic products or products that use genetics, um, but in a way that is makes it accessible to the entire population, not right. just for a few extreme cases. So you wanted to go into this versus, I don't know, making photo apps at Facebook. You know, photo apps are fun. I, I, uh, All right, <laughs> but, uh, so. but the uh, so God uh, knows we need another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it, it's it was one of those cases where yeah, like it it really felt like an opportunity to really use a lot of uh, you know the background that we had on, on the software side to have a very uh, meaningful impact on the lives of a lot of people. And it was really one of those cases of combining uh, people from very different fields and taking a, what used to be science, you know, and turning it into engineering, essentially. And, right. uh, and that's where, like, you know, with my, my three other co-founders, all of them have scientific or health backgrounds. And so that kind of that combination, I think, is what really, uh, you know, uh, and allowed us to uh, to make a difference. So it, it does remain science, though. It is a science. Oh, and, for sure. and one of the issues yeah. in the past with companies like 23andMe and several others were issues around, uh, and obviously Theranos has sort of colored mm-hmm. everything, was this idea of making it, disrupting it in such a way that seems fantastic and then maybe isn't quite so much. And I think there's been a lot of headwinds for companies mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. The um, That was actually one of the kind of big kind of initial thoughts behind kind of how we approached the the, the space is that, you know, we're very uh, depth first focused where we said, you know, we're going to choose one area where the science is well established and where there's a lot of impact to be had, where, you know, the, the connection of, you know, BRCA1 and cancer has literally existed for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today, 20 years later, um, there are millions of people in the U.S., who are carriers of these mutations that still don't know. And the science by now is very not debated anymore. Right. And so what we decided to do is to kind of go for something like that where, you know, there's relatively small scientific risk in some sense. And it was very much kind of a, a more of an application challenge. You know, how do you do this with very high quality at very high scale? In a small area. Exactly. But obviously you have going larger, correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So where do you fit in that? Now, you, on one hand, you have something like Theranos, which, mm-hmm. again, could be issues of fraud there. There's obviously something's gone haywire at that particular company, um, at which the Wall Street Journal has chronicled beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have a 23andMe, which had issues, regulatory issues. Nobody disputed that these spit tests were interesting, and mm-hmm. you could find all kinds of things. And I was showing someone my results before the FDA got involved, which were fascinating, actually, and full of great information. And the results today, which are not very helpful, particularly, and that's one of the difficulties, is that they give you very little information and treat it like a game versus something that's really helpful to mm-hmm. your health. And so how do you look at how one Silicon Valley looks at these things and how you should be regulated by the government? There are a few aspects to that. I think, first of all, I think in general, when you, in the early days of an industry, there is a temptation to go very broad and to mm-hmm. try to kind of do a lot of things, you know, to kind of cover the entire mm-hmm. space. And that was, again, like the one of our big choices is to say, you know, we're going to take something that's well established in terms of like, you know, there's a very well established existing model, but we want to just do it at scale, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's the, the the first piece. Secondly, the, you know, the there's a kind of, when you're dealing with health, obviously we're, you know, and this is very personal too, right? Like when dealing with some, with people and their family's health, the single most important thing is quality and that you, you know, the information you're delivering to people is A, accurate and B, 
uh, made available in a way that is digested and, and used in a way that's consistent yeah, with, with the impact of that information, right? You know, if I'm reporting on, you know, the likelihood of having unibrow, you know, the <laughs> the risk of that information is relatively minimal, right? Well, not really. Or maybe. yeah, maybe <laughs> in certain cases. But uh, but but on the it's but a if, devastating illness. Yeah, it's uh, you know, but you know, it's, it's it's actually relatively easy to deal with. You know, there's you know like a fifty mm-hmm. cent uh, tweezers, you know, and that's a pretty uh, low risk procedure. And you know, as, as long as you don't you know poke yourself in the eye. But but when you're dealing with something like cancer, the importance and the impact of that information is much much higher. And right. so, you know, what we've done there is you know we. You know, our standard was clinical practice. So, for example, we, you know, every test is physician ordered, and every test, for example, includes genetic counseling. You know, so really, kind of. So they know what to do. The, the, the idea distance, is that yeah. the, the patient is getting information unencumbered by information. I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's essentially I think historically, you know, that people would think that there was kind of two separate axes. One is quality, and the other one is access. And mm-hmm. if you improve access, it's it means low quality. Or kind of like you know low kind of focus on quality in some sense and and for us I mean our goal was just to think about how can we increase access but uh, maintaining kind of the all right so uh, so we'll get into that idea of the FDA wanting more genetic counseling and other information which was lacking in some of the earlier efforts explain how people go through your process thing because mm-hmm. it's different than other yeah. other genomics there's been a lot of genomics companies from Silicon Valley yeah totally the uh, I think I think one one of the you know big differences with us is that, you know, historically when, like when genetics used to be just the lab side of genetics was incredibly expensive and incredibly Mm -hmm. difficult, any company that did genetics defined itself as a genetics company. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the areas where we're kind of a big departure from, I think, pretty much everyone else is that, you know, we think of genetics as a part of a bigger service where, you know, when people come to us, you know, I think they don't necessarily care as much about whether they have a BRCA mutation. What they care about is how do they and their family members manage risk of cancer, mm-hmm. right? And that's how we think about our service. Like, what are the things that we can do to help people manage the most important risks in their, in their lives? Mm-hmm. And, you know, genetics is a important component, important building block, but it's not the product. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and that's translated in a few ways. I mean, one is translated in terms of how we, you know, build the product and how we make it available to people but also impacts how we think about distribution. So, for example, when you think about it as a service, for example, we work with a number of large self-insured employers, um, so companies like you know Visa, BlackRock, Tencent, et cetera, that have large populations where they're bearing the cost of uh, health care for their employees, and they offer color either heavily subsidized or entirely subsidized to their employee base. Right. And for them, I mean, they... So it's not a consumer product. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a product where we... Really try Move to help through the enterprise. With that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's kind of, um, and in that case, you know, it, it obviously for employers, it's you know, it's a it's a big benefit because uh, from a there's a kind of a ROI component to it, but also there's a very direct like human impact to it. Um, and you know, now you know every every week pretty much we get these you know incredible stories. Like um, you know, a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, we had this woman who didn't have a huge amount of family history, got tested through her employer, and discovered she has care of a BRCA1 mutation. And because of that, she's like, okay, came from one of my two parents. Um, she went and got her parents tested and turned out her mother is the carrier. And her mother had never had cancer before. But because of that, she went to see her doctor mm-hmm. um, who got suspicious and they found that she had the stage three ovarian cancer. Wow. But, you know, it was not yet metastasized. So, you know, much easier to treat. And, you know, this same woman by default would have shown up, you know, a year or two years from now with 
most likely a late stage uh, cancer where it's you know very different outcome and um, and so that like the when you get these kinds of warnings yeah warnings for people it's like a so, small so when people get it they you can get it just from a regular doctor assigning it to you or do you have to get it through a work People can uh, work with their directly with their doctor. Essentially, but they, they can't call you up and say I'd like the genetic test. So, so they can come on the on, on the color website, mm-hmm. purchase the test. Um, if they have a doctor that they're already working with, their doctor can easily go on our website and, and place the order. If not, if they don't, we can uh, we can help them with a referral to uh, third party physicians mm-hmm. uh, who they can work with as well. And and then once the results come in, they get talked to the doctor about exactly. it. But you don't have you don't have doctors on staff that. No, we don't have doctors on staff. We mm-hmm. have uh, board certified genetic counselors mm-hmm. who kind of help with uh, giving people the results, the interpretation of the information, mm-hmm. as well as educating doctors oftentimes because most doctors when that are uh, working today, yeah. yeah, like they when Not they went either. to medical school, they had like you know. You know, one lesson on genetics probably that's kind of those more, more focused on uh, pregnancy right. uh, side, but very few have, you know, cancer genetics treat, uh, training. Sure. So how much does that cost? Um, so the test is $250. Right. And it, but it can be deeply discounted. Yeah. So the, well, so normally on, even today, these tests cost, uh, you know, anywhere between two and $4,000. Mm-hmm. And the side effect of that is that historically and even today, if someone just wants to go and get tested, if they don't want to pay you know, thousands of dollars out of pocket, it would go through their insurance. And very few people qualify through insurance. Mm-hmm. You need to have had an extreme level of family history mm-hmm. uh, in order for insurance to You have to be super cover. sick to find out if you're super sick. Yeah, exactly. It's right, kind yeah, of like once, sounds... you, once it's very yeah. obvious, you know, they'll... But, you know, it turns out that like half of, for example, women who are carriers of BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutations don't have the family history that would allow them to get insurance oh, wow. coverage. I didn't think, I think uh, most yeah. people usually know this. All right, and how, and how much money have you raised? Um, so we've raised about uh, $60 million. Whoa, that's a lot of money. From who? Um, so some of our um, main investors have been uh, Formation 8, uh, mm-hmm. Joe Lonsdale, uh, Coastal Ventures, uh, General Catalyst, mm-hmm. uh, Himan uh who um, actually, I guess, say, mo- most recently was a lot of the news with uh, Stripe, uh, Stripe mm-hmm. Investment. Uh, and a number of uh, other uh, kind of high-profile kind of philanthropists or uh, people who care a lot about uh, We want to get into this health care. We're going to talk about that and more when we get back. And we're here with Othman Lalraki, who is CEO of Color Genomics. This is Lauren Good of The Verge. GoCD is the on-premise, open-source, continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. With GoCD's comprehensive pipeline modeling, you can model complex workflows for multiple teams with ease. And GoCD's value stream map lets you track a change from commit to deploy at a glance. That's a whole lot of work stuff, but GoCD's real power is in the visibility it provides over your end-to-end workflow. So you get complete control of and visibility into your deployments across multiple teams. Say goodbye to deployment panic and hello to consistent, predictable deliveries. To learn more about GoCD, visit go.cd slash recode for a free download. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are also available. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. This week we talked to James Altucher, a very, very unlikely self-help guru who does not want to be called a self-help guru, but he both gives away and sells advice to people, and he has made $17 million last year doing it. So we talked about how he was able to build that basically one-man media business and how he built two other businesses, which he sold for $25 million, and how he lost all of that money and built this third business. It's a pretty good conversation. Uh, we also talked about why you should not go to college and why you should not read the news. At least one of those things I disagree with. So you can listen in. You can figure it out. 
You can find Recode Media on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm here with Othman Laraki, president of Color Genomics, and we're talking about genetics, genomics, and all kinds of healthcare startup issues. So talk a little bit about the ecosystem of healthcare startups. We've had a few in here, as I said, but it's been a difficult area for investment for a long time, and now it's sort of heating up. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I think with healthcare, uh, a lot of uh, investors like to say, you know, everything takes 10 times as long and costs mm-hmm. 10 times as much because, you know, it's a, it's an area where there's kind of so many other variables to deal with than just building software. But on the flip side, you know, it's an area where we can have a huge impact on, you know, obviously on, on people's lives as well as on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it's one of those where, you know, now there are a few environmental things that have changed that really make it worthwhile to uh, very heavily invest in it, I think. I mean, one is, um, you know, we're, we are coming to a breaking point, right? Like it's, you know, uh, such a heavy part of our economy that's, sure. you know, uh, which people have it, said for years, and they st- never seem to fix it. Yeah, and, and so you know, maybe it's like global warming. Like <laughs> at some point, hopefully, we fix it before everything breaks. Probably not. Um, but, yeah, I guess historically. Sorry. But um, uh, I, I think the other piece is that there have been a few changes from a scientific as well as environmental standpoint. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, for example, the with the genetic sequencing, the cost of genetic sequencing has all of a sudden made it possible to to completely rethink the cost structure of this information. Mm-hmm. And there's also the impact of using machine learning in healthcare. Which has been the big Which is, thing. yeah, I think it's one of the big areas where, yeah. you know, it allows you to extract signal from, you know, this very diffuse data set. So when you get that uh, data, it's yeah. something we talked to Vic Gondotra about because he's taking these EEGs and there's all kinds mm-hmm. of signals there that you don't, from other, for other diseases uh, through a simple EEG. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that idea of signals because, you know, he felt that artificial intelligence is going to change all of healthcare and a lot of people both negatively and positively think that, that we won't need radiologists, we won't need mm-hmm. all kinds of medical personnel and that unless you understand the use of artificial intelligence, you can't be a medical practitioner in the future. Yeah, I, I disagree with that, actually, because I think, um, you know, there we already use artificial intelligence in a lot of interesting ways today, and you don't mm-hmm. have to be an AI expert. Actually, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think it's uh, an AI it's, expert. It's, it's, this will rely heavily, medicine will be relying yeah, more so, heavily so than that. Ever. Yes. So I think we'll rely on it. I don't think it'll require people to, to in, in fact, I think it'll allow people to be able to not need to dig into the data as much. It's almost like, you know, self-driving cars, mm-hmm. like they, you know, they allow, um, you know, transportation at a different scale. Um, where like the, um, you know, I think with healthcare, if you look at how we practice medicine today, it's, it's more of like what we'd call an expert system where, you know, you have a decision yeah. tree uh, that, uh, you know, you try to make fit into people's heads and we call those doctors. And mm-hmm. whereas today you already have, you know, if you go see your doctor, you ideally you'd like them to be able to use, you know, your genome, your family history, mm-hmm. your glucose readings from the last year, et cetera. But all that data, you know, we can't process it as humans. So the question is, how do we use software to enable us to work with that data. See, at a very I, I would scale. like a robot doctor because I feel like they'd be better. <laughs> well, or, or a robot assisted doctor. I think no, that's No, I want where, a robot doctor. you would just want a robot yeah, doctor. Only because, you know, I, someone was, we were, I was talking about yeah. self-driving cars last night at this big Silicon Valley event and that someone pointed out something very, I think it might have been Joe Lonsdale, I can't remember, pointed out that when a self-driving car gets in an accident, all the cars learn about that accident. Mm-hmm. When a person gets in an accident, just that person learns and there's no, and it doesn't go any further. And so mm-hmm. it seems as if you know, I have, I've had some issues around blood, and I had a stroke a long time ago, and it, I just have to keep repeating myself to this mm-hmm. s- 
lots of people and they still don't have the right information. And I always feel like it should be existing somewhere where it would follow me digitally. Yeah. And that, then I would also be subject to the what, what happened to other people. There's patterns. Yeah. There are patterns. There's got to be. Yeah. So I think there's like it's almost like there are two separate problems. One is kind of how information is accessed and propagated. I think, you know, sometimes in healthcare. Yeah, they're you know, scared. Yeah, like privacy is taken as an excuse to kind of log data up. Yep. But ultimately, like, you know, we own our health data mm-hmm. and we need to be able to, for it to be used, you know, for, well, for even anonymously, and, like yeah, that if you have this many EKGs or something else, and there's lots of signals yeah. that could benefit you. Yeah. And, and we found actually, like, you know, when with color, you know, everyone who takes a test, um, yeah, it, what happens has, to it? Well, so they have the option to enable their anonymous data to be used for research. And do most people agree? Almost with that? everyone opts in, like, you know, and then where does that go? What happens? Um, so what we do there is like, for example, we contribute, um, aggregate data to, um, the, a number of databases, for example, that are used to c- classify variants in terms of their impact on cancer and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so these things really matter. And, you know, for example, a color customer, by allowing us to do that, can save the life of someone, you know, in, in France who, you know, happens to have the same mutation that can now be classified. Um, and so that really has, has, a, has a, I think, a huge impact. Um, I think the, the other piece, too, though, is like, you know, is just being able to use... I think there's a lot of right now the way we data is used in in medicine. I think is we only use the super salient you know signals like you know you come in with like a bleeding wound mm-hmm. you know that's that's the data point right yeah. like, but you know the, there's all this kind of like you know uh, low volume data but that is carrying Critical. as much signal yeah yeah that's completely not being used like one example I, I I say jokingly but it's real is that you know when you take your your car in for for an oil change mm-hmm. you know your mechanic will plug your car into a computer and know what happened yeah they'll gather more data from your car than your doctor will get if you go in for cancer treatment mm-hmm. right and that's incredible right like is that and, you know and we have the ability to extract that data you know to read that data from our bodies and to be able to use it at scale and i think we are in that transition time where you know we need to we're a building the software for that but also adjusting, you know, the, the medical system is also adapting to the availability of this incredible new tool set. So talk about the idea of privacy, because that's always used, you know, there's yeah. all these HIPAA, all kinds of regulations. And obviously, FDA has been very, mm-hmm. many people think slow, other people think it's their job is to slow things down. But a lot of people actually go to Europe or other places to do some of their regulatory issues, because it's more open to, to trying things. Um, talk a little bit about that issue of privacy, because Silicon Valley always bumps up against this, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah, Why know, can't we? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, actually. I think in, it was, I was discussing this with someone uh, recently where I think in, for example, if you take the internet, like there's been a, uh, I think it's an interesting example of how, um, for example, you know, the, you know, there's been a relatively high level of self-regulation mm-hmm. by internet companies, um, and, and also by organizations, you know, that are kind of the privacy watchdogs that apply pressure to, you know, ensure companies are also self-policing. Yeah. How's that fake news thing working on? Yeah. Facebook? That, you know, so then I, I think, you know, they are not, now we're kind of like in a big, I think there's a lot of soul searching now. No, but, there isn't. They uh, have, don't hopefully have souls. There <laughs> they have to have souls to start with. Anyway, sorry. sorry. I was just revealing a personal bias I have, but go ahead. Um, I but the, can't uh, believe I said it out loud. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think with regards to private information, I think I think the first big thing that's happening is that people now are starting to have more and more of the expectation that the data is theirs yeah, and that exactly. they get to decide from in two ways. I think, first of all, it's kind of like the or I think one of the big changes is that, you know, we went from the majority of your health data being generated and kept in hospital records, mm-hmm. on whereas, paper. yeah, on paper, you know, and, you know, with terrible handwriting mm-hmm. um, that even the people who wrote it can't read it most times and to a 
point now where maybe some of the most important health data is being generated about you is on your phone and walking uh, while you're, while you're walking, Sleeping. you know, your heart rate monitor, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you know, like with continuous glucose monitors, now mm-hmm. it's becoming easier and easier to track that. Uh, your genome, for example, you know, you, these are data sets now that people are in control of. And I think that will change the power the dynamics. People will push for this? I think so, because, you know, people... people ate, get very babyish when it comes to medic, med, money and medicine. They tend to just let... The, the paternalistic system really does jump into place. Yeah, so I think the, the system or the kind of, you know, in general, like, you know, when, you, when we talk about the quote-unquote system is that, you know, it tends to be more punished for risk-taking mm-hmm. and less rewarded for well, missing opportunities. Well, because risk has some downside right? yeah, exactly. to kill people. So and also, but, but it doesn't get punished for the missed opportunities. Right. Um, whereas individuals, I think, are very aligned with, mm-hmm. you know, not missing those opportunities. Like, you know, I, you know it, for me, knowing that I'm a BRCA2 carrier is very important, important for, kids, to, for, for my kids, et cetera. But there is this uh, paternalistic system that you have to get through. It's, uh, you know, having been in it, it's, mm-hmm. it's literally, I, I, I'm a plague to doctors because I'm always like, you know, they'll give me some answer that's not correct or just I, I listen to what they're saying. And, and I go, you don't know, do you? And they're like, they gave me some mumbo jumbo. And I said, I speak English. You don't know. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. and I go, you just say you don't know. And I'm good with that. And which, which is interesting is that the, the, a lot of this and then you have something like Theranos where it comes true that maybe this is a, you know, maybe mm-hmm, this isn't mm-hmm. as a, has the efficacy that was promised. And so it's an interesting dichotomy between Silicon Valley and the medical community where they obviously would welcome more information at the same time. They yeah. like the priest kind of attitude. Yeah. I think maybe there's maybe worth separating two things. I think one is how do you establish that a product works? Mm-hmm. And I think for that, actually, the medical system has some pretty reasonable standards. Yeah, you we have can this criticize gene. it, et cetera. But like, we yes, tested. So there's the genes. There's also kind of how do you establish that a product works? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, one thing we've done is that we've been very transparent with our data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we, you know, validated the, our test, we validated against very sure. well accepted tests and we published that very openly. Right, which is important. And that kind of peer review nature of medicine, I think, mm-hmm. is actually quite effective. Another aspect of that is, you know, the like medicine is a very, you know, peer driven group where like, you know, there are, you know, what we call key opinion leaders, where mm-hmm. they're just well known scientists who tend to have strong opinions that are respected, you know, and, and hopefully in general, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that for a good reason. So when you work with people that have that kind of cre- credibility, it does enable you to establish that, you know, you had someone who really can w- go very deep with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you passed their sniff test, essentially. Sure. And so there are, th- I think, things there that like, I think, and allow companies, whether it's Silicon Valley or not, to be able to say, look, you know, what we do is real and it works and, you know, it's well established, et cetera. I think separately from that, there's the, you know, the question of control of uh, and how it changes the jobs of doctors. And, you know, I think with that, you'll see, a, I think it's just a big distribution. I mean, you know, there are doctors that when we started Color, you know, mm-hmm. three, four years ago, you know, were still on the side of like, you know, increasing access is dangerous, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And by now, it's like there's so much data that, you know, shows how big of a cost it is for people to not have access mm-hmm. that, you know, they've really they've kind of swung, swung to the other side. What, do you just, what is your business? What is your actual business? Selling tests to companies or what? So we're, we're in the business of enabling people to access data from their bodies that enables them to... And paying um, for it. And paying for Someone it, yes. Paying for so it. they're um, where it's, uh, you know... The, the model is direct pay, so so we you know we we don't go through insurance. People just make that choice uh, with them and their doctors or with their employers. 
and enables them to uh, get access to, inf to information currently focused on cancer, where some people have a very high risk of cancer, and then there are well-established guidelines about what they can do about it. Um, Once and, they find out. So they can yeah. only do one test now, or is there more? Yeah, it's a single test. Right. Um, we cover 30 genes that cover the um, eight most common hereditary cancers. Such as? Explain. Uh, if breast, I took it? Yeah, breast, ovarian, colon, prostate, uh, skin, etc. And so they'll say this, you have a proclivity for this versus yeah, so, the so, population or what? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, we'll, we can uh, yeah. use a concrete example. So, for example, there's a, a gene called APC, where mm -hmm. if you have a mutation in it, you have an extremely high risk of colon cancer. The average population is about 3% colon cancer risk. If you have APC mutation, you literally go up to between 70 and 100% oh, wow. risk. So, you know, you're, you're, you know, the likelihood of getting it is just, you know, astronomical. But if someone knows about it, um, you know, while colonoscopies are not pleasant, they're very mm -hmm. effective. I just and had so, one. I enjoyed it very okay. much. Okay. <laughs> so you're, you're maybe the... Uh, I have the colon of a 20-year-old. Oh, that, well, that's good. I'm yes. uh, very proud. And, and the good thing about, about colonoscopies, in addition to, I guess, the enjoyment in some cases, is that they're actually very effective. Like um, for, you know, when polyps are detected early, mm -hmm. um, it, it could allow someone, for example, with an APC mutation... Um, to literally potentially add decades to their lives. And so they can do different things, right? Yeah, exactly. Because Actually, Katie Couric made me take it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because she, she's, a, yeah, yeah, she's, she's been a, a huge proponent. Uh, proponent she of it. She screamed yeah. at me until I did it. But, yeah. but what was interesting is it was helpful. It was it was good because I was thinking, what could you do then? Because mm -hmm. what action could you take yeah. if you if you had that or something else? Same thing with breast cancer. Or, yeah, exactly. Or, so, so, but you don't give them advice then. Like, you have this, now you need to what? Stop yeah, so, doing blank or yeah. So get what a we do is that, so for each one of these, there's um, either whether it's cancer risk or gene, there are uh, national guidelines for what you do if you have a mutation in one of these. Mm -hmm. um, and so in some cases, it is um, skin cancer. Give me for it. skin cancer, it's like increased screening, mm -hmm. obviously increasing vigilance around sun exposure, etc. Mm -hmm. But what you end up having is you end up with people, when people have this elevated risk is that when their doctors know about it they can adjust their screening in a way that so increases awareness. the chances of catching it. Awareness, early. which you can get. Yeah. A lot of these things, if you can get them early, they're quite exactly. helpful. Yeah. Do you ever worry about people finding these things out and freaking out, like having the freak out? Because I remember getting some of the mm -hmm. genetic information from 23andMe, and it was disturbing. It was. Yeah. So, I mean, big part of it is um, for people to be informed ahead of making that choice, so ensuring that people are making a very informed decision. Mm -hmm. Second is... Um, I don't know that's... if you've met a human being lately. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Ah! Uh, so so we, you know, we've, we've tried to reduce the... I mean, obviously, right. you know, it's kind of like what we tried to reduce the friction there, for example, by making videos mm -hmm. and, you know, really kind of... Uh, Educating people. Making it easier for them on the, on yeah. the education front. Um, that's also why we require a physician order. Um, mm -hmm. So there's always a doctor involved. And that's also why we include genetic counseling. Uh, where anyone who takes a so test... So these are your genetic counselors? Yeah, there are uh, counselors. They're all board certified, and, but we've trained them specifically To go through the guidelines this, of whatever yeah. was, it, whatever they happen to be. Like, what if someone gets one and they're like, they have all of them or something like that? Yeah, you know, so, I mean, you know, each person has different permutations and, mm -hmm. you know, risks. And, you know, so there are certain cases where people have mutations in multiple genes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you adjust the guideline. The, the guidelines, you know, adjust based on that. Right. And um, you don't do things like how scary, like 20%, you should be a little bit nervous or versus... No, I mean, 70. in general, I mean... If I saw 70, yeah. I'd freak out. But. Yeah. I mean, in general, with all these things, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, in, in my, my, my personal case, mm -hmm. right, like, you know, the is obviously not good news, but when you know about it, you're like, okay, well, you know, that is, it is what it is. Right. But now that I know... Here are the three. So you things have that this gene. You, you're a carrier of this gene, and you have children. Yeah. Did you know that? Before I, have, you? I have. Yeah, I have two young boys, um, and um, but I knew about it beforehand. And you know, for me, for example, you know, I, 
you know, increased risk for a few, a few different cancers. Did you have and, them tested? Uh, no, um, you know, for for this, it's uh, for at least for these genes currently. I mean, they're adult onset, um, mm-hmm. which means that you know there's no actionability change uh, until you're in your 20s, anyways. Sure. Um, so you know, I think it'll be their choice. Uh, for there was an interesting thing I saw last night at the Breakthrough Prizes where someone who got Hada and I'm trying to, I'm blanking on her name, but she had been part of a. The reason she got it was she was doing genetic testing on a certain gene that created a disease, and mm-hmm. then that you pass on to your kids and the person knew about it and then they were able to bypass it for their kids. It was really fantastic. Yeah. So this guy had it, manifested it, but his kids will never get it, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even now today, I mean, you can do um, uh, in vitro selection of, mm-hmm. um, and, and certain people were This carers, wasn't that, but it was, that, okay. yeah, it was really interesting. Oh. It was really, but the concept was, that's what people worry about I of see. all kinds of diseases. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the future. Do mm-hmm. you think it's a good thing? Because there's a play called Twilight of the Golds where they mm-hmm. found out, I think, this woman who had a gay brother found out their baby still to be born was going to be gay and mm-hmm. then considered getting rid of it. It was This was mm-hmm. back in the 80s where, the, you know, yeah. AIDS issues and stuff like that. And it was really, I remember it being questions about what you do when you have all this information, mm-hmm. all this genetic information. Where does it go? How, mu- how much, what are we going to get to? At least if you're going out when you're yeah. in a business that's going to be all about this, where yeah. you're going to be able to digitize yourself. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, w- the way I think about it is like, you know, each one of us, I mean, we have a you know, torrent of data in our bodies. Like mm-hmm. we're, gener- we're generating like yeah. a tremendous amount of data. And today, you know, we, we make use of almost none of that data none of it, yeah. you know, until the, you know, until it's And often like, make fun of people. Like there's all these jokes about people in Japan. They have these tools yeah, exactly, that do everything. Of, but I think what happens is, you know, at least first of all, from an individual self-care standpoint, all the choices that we can make around, you know, everyday life choices that mm-hmm. can have a very big impact, right? And so mm-hmm. at least giving people... I think when people start having a lens into that, you know, it becomes much easier right. to, you know, improve our choices. I think another thing that, that I think is going to be quite interesting is um, right now, the things that are easiest to act on are things where the actionability is very coarse, like or, or specific, right? Like when for cancer, you know, people tend to really follow the guidelines because it's a, you know, you just need to go get screened once a year or you need to mm-hmm. go choose to, you know, get a colonoscopy right. or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, things that have historically been very difficult are things that are more habit modification. Sure. So it's like, okay, you know, if you consume less sugar... So they have information. You, know, you won't stop eating sugar unless exactly. they, oh no, you actually are going to get cancer if you yeah. keep doing this. And, and I think part of that is like that feedback loop. And so mm-hmm. I think being able to plug into, for example, continuous glucose monitor, if you, every time you pop a Snickers bar, you, you know, you get a graph that you yeah. see that... No, I'm a proponent of, I was just had some, um, you know, Fitbit or one of them or Nike was in here and I was like, these are useless because they're not saying you ate that donut. Here's what happened. Mm -hmm. You need to get up. Like, and it it sort of orders you around as a a body, you know, it starts telling you things. But where does that go to? How much information should you have all that information about yourself or constantly? Is that a good thing? And where does it go? What, how much information is, will we be getting? We'll, think, we'll have yeah. like a monitor on our neck or something like that. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah. I think the... Um, I think our eye or wherever. The one thing that's likely to be relatively limited is our ability to, you know, input that data, you know, to, mm-hmm. you know, read it ourselves, like <laughs> the bandwidth of, you know, human eyes or mm-hmm. ears or whatever. And so I think what likely happens is that we just build more tools that enable us to Understand. use a lot of data in a human actionable way. I mean, I think part of your question to those like, Okay, what happens with perfect information? Do we start making weird societal choices? Right, that that's one go, of them. You know, and the other is, what do we become as human beings? If, mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole push in Silicon Valley around 
you know, the perfect, the, the singularity, mm -hmm. the this, the that, the idea that we become computers. Yeah. I, we, we just interviewed Elon Musk. He was talking about in putting neural networks so mm -hmm. we can keep up with computers. Um, there's all kinds of things like that. And, and I think healthcare is where it really intersects. And the fact that we can do this at such a high level, and yet most people in this country have terrible health care mm -hmm. across the world, have terrible yeah. health care. So how does that iterate down to people who don't have health care yeah. or, or are not well served versus this sort of elite group of people who are monitoring everything yeah. they do? Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think in some ways, like if you look at the two extremes, right, like on the there's one extreme, it's like, OK, for the people who can put infinite resources to do either good or crazy things. Right. Mm -hmm. And do you give superpowers to kind of, you know, will some people be living eternally or do mm -hmm. et cetera? I think, you know, it's, that, that's always been, I think, you know, like the yeah. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like yeah. I mean, that's that kind of that myth or kind of anxiety has always existed relative to, you know, humans and technology. I think the thing that has almost always happened has been around technology being a way to democratize progress in a way that's scalable to, such to everyone. And so, well, such as, you know, for example, cancer testing, right? Like with what we're doing, you know, literally, you know, today, 20 years after this, you know, these discoveries have been made, only about 15% of people who have high risk of breast or, or ovarian cancer in the U.S. know about it. Right. Um, so but, why isn't everybody getting well, tested? So that, and, but that's where I think like where we're going, where it's literally now economically feasible and profitable to enable every single person to get tested. So, right? but, so uh, although isn't your business predicated on people that are already probably going to take good care of themselves to start with? Um, yes and no. I mean, like for, if you look at, for example, um, if you compare it to pap smears, mm -hmm. right? Um, so there are about 70 million pap smears that are done in the U.S. every year. Mm -hmm. The positive rate of pap smears is, is literally, um, I think, um, you know, almost an order of magnitude lower than what you'd see with cancer risk. But now it, all of a sudden it's the same cost, mm -hmm. right? So people are willing to do these things that... Have right, from an impact standpoint. So I think it's much more actually of a... So you're saying you don't have to do those anymore? Well, no, I think I think those are still, right. um, you know, the economics around those are still positive. Mm -hmm. But my point more is that, for example, being able to get insight into your cancer risk has all of a sudden become... Cheap. Way, way worthwhile right. for, you know, the Lots of population. So do you see that iterating downward? Yeah, Because a lot of things Silicon Valley does yeah, is I mean, all if, about, you actually, know... When I look at our at our customer base, I mean, it is it is all over the U.S. I mean, right. it is... I mean, we literally get people who, who write into our, our support uh, mailing list who are like, well, thank you for doing this. You know, I've been, you know, I've had, you know, some family history, but got rejected by Medicare or whatnot for, and I've been trying to save like $3,000 for, for testing for a year. And now, and now I can do it. And it's very broad. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, actually, one of the things we were able to do is because of the dramatic cost difference is that whenever someone gets uh, tested or buys a test, they can, can, we have this program that we, from day one, it's called the Every, Every Woman program, where uh, a person can contribute to get other people tested who can't afford it. Right. Okay. And so uh, we have a very large number of people um, in places like, for example, Morehouse or Penn School of Medicine or SF General who got access to testing who literally can't even afford the $250. Mm -hmm. Whereas like when you're dealing with something that costs thousands of dollars, it's much harder to subsidize. So do you a, imagine it ever gets to be that low? Like pen, like everybody gets walks into a Walgreens and gets genetic tested all the time? Yeah, I, th I think within the next few years, I mean, it'll literally... Just walk in. It's uh, In some ways, I mean, if you, like your genome is, it's no different than your lipid, your glucose panel, mm -hmm. right? And it just used to be much more expensive and all this you know, scaffolding of rationalization has been built around why you should only look at it under these conditions. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's it's just data. It's just information 
that you know we use a lot of other information yeah. and here it's like all of a sudden now this information is accessible yeah. and you can use it to really impact people. And so last question and then we have to go. Um, how does it feel doing this as opposed to working at Twitter, not to denigrate Twitter, but you know, I joke that a lot of companies here are essentially, you know, doing assisted living for millennials. Like a lot of the companies <laughs> seem ridiculous, you know, on every level. Yeah. Convenient and fun and interesting, but what's the difference doing something that's obviously more meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think one of the, you know, big differences, I mean, when you're dealing with something like Google or Twitter, et cetera, I mean, you're the number of people you're touching is, you mm-hmm. know, in the hundreds or, you know, yeah. billion people, et cetera. And so the magnitude of humanity is is incredible. Sure, but, but assisting but Donald the, Trump to tweet better is yeah, not but, really a life goal yeah, that I'd the, imagine you have. Yeah, that would be a new one. But the uh, <laughs> the but I think what's very different here is that, you know, you get sometimes an N of one that justifies, sure. that makes your last year worthwhile, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get literally one person and you're like, wow, you know, even f- not discounting everything else, this one person today is alive, m- maybe wouldn't have been if we hadn't been doing our work. And so I think that is very, very different feeling. And mm-hmm. it, I think it really changes the feeling of responsibility of what we're doing, as well as, you know, our mental math around why it's worthwhile. And and, I, and that's been, I think, a huge factor in our ability to build a team like we did. I mean, we have, you know, one of the things that I feel most fortunate about is we've, you know, been able to attract to the company like, just an incredible uh, group of people, some of the best people we've ever worked with through all these amazing companies. And these are all people that could be, you know, yeah. getting paid more, et cetera, et cetera. But like the, you know, we're all connected to this in a very personal way. Yeah, they could all be doing milkshake.com and, uh, and, you know, yeah, you know for milkshakes. I know, you know, milkshakes are good, but, you know, it's, it's, it's like delivering happiness. <laughs> not for your genetics, but, uh, <laughs> they're not. They're delicious. But, uh, anyway, Atman, thank you so much. It was great talking to you and thanks for coming by. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Quip CEO Brett Taylor, investor Aileen Lee, and comedian Chelsea Handler, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, which distributes this show. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.